This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show that all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's an all-pet day on Creature Comforts. The door to our pet hospital are wide open, so we welcome all your pet questions from the big to the small. You have a cat or dog at home, or maybe both. Maybe a question about exotic pets like rabbits, snakes, or ferrets. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And we remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. We're going to start as we usually do with Libby. Libby, you've got an interesting message from MDWFP to share with us. But first, tell us what you've been seeing in your yard lately. Okay. Good morning, Kevin. Yeah. um, For breakfast, starting off early today, we were on the porch and a nest uh, full of baby tufted titmice. Uh, It was time for them to fledge, evidently, just so we got to enjoy the antics. The parents got all excited and (laughs) the two tufted titmouse parents were uh, jumping around, um, all kinds of call sounds, you know, a lot of vocalization and the babies were twittering and they... It's it's kind of a neat thing. A fledgling will just kind of quiver all over, and I guess this has got to be the most exciting day. Can I really fly? Mm-hmm. You know, can I make it over to that uh, feeder? Is kind of what they all aimed for, and they hopped and uh, flew as best they could. And um, but I couldn't tell they were really eating. The parents were still feeding them, and they were jumping all around. And then they all went as a kind of a ball of chaos into the mulberry tree and made lots of noise. And so they were having fun. That's the first time I had seen tufted tip mice um, fledge like that. I've seen other birds do it. And we've had several nests of house finches fledge recently. So we got to see those. Uh, We know we've got two um, perula warbler nests. We've looked at those and seen eggs in both of them. And that's pretty exciting. It's also a little terrifying because they make their nest um, hanging in um, little uh, wads of Spanish moss. We have a lot of Spanish moss on trees here, which is why we have Perula warblers, I believe. And uh, the um, the nest looks very precarious. Precarious. Both of them seem just too fragile to make it through a good storm. So I hope they'll be all right. And um, I just could barely peek in there. I didn't want to spend too much time. But uh, Paul said he thought he saw three eggs in one of the nests. And I could only just see one egg on the edge of both nests. So um, hopefully they'll do well. And let's see. uh, Oh, last night was our last night for Snappy Sink 
uh, fireflies, the synchronous fireflies. We had two that were wandering around, and they were both in different parts of the woods, so they did not find each other. And hopefully they found a mate, though. Those were probably males wandering around looking for another mate. So that means all the adults have died for the year. Hopefully plenty of eggs have been laid in the leaf litter, and we'll see them emerge again next year. So tomorrow we're off to Waldoxy State Park to see what we can find up there. We've heard that the fireflies are really good there. They're going to have an event for the public there at Waldoxy. Our friends in Oxford say that they're bloom they're they're blooming they're blinking <laughs> beautifully there. I guess they are kind of blooming. It's their version of blooming in the spring, right? So they're um. They're blinking all around Oxford now if you want to see the synchronous fireflies. But anywhere in the state, uh, your synchronous fireflies may have already passed on as mine have, but there are all kinds of other things. Up in the tops of the trees last night, there were a bunch of um, fireflies that I need to pull Lynn's book back out and uh, study a little more of what's up there because there's some that we call the flash bulbs, and they were just super bright last night, but also a few flash bulb looking things with a really bright light that were down pretty low. So I'm going to read about those today and see what I might have been seeing. So anyway, there's a lot going on outside. I personally uh, come in right at dusk, about five o'clock to eight o'clock. I find the mosquitoes a lot worse at my house. And then I get back outside about 8.30 or 9 for at least one little walk around the place and um, don't have as much trouble with mosquitoes or gnats. So if you're bothered by the mosquitoes and gnats, you might try that and see if it works for you rather than use a bunch of um, bug spray on me, which I do use, but I um, I, I didn't do it last night. I thought, I'm just going to stay in inside the screen porch and see what I can see. But uh, it, it, I like to enjoy the night, especially in the summer when the, when the days are so hot. Hmm. It's really kind of fun to see what's going on outside at night. Uh, maybe before we jump on to head to the message about bears, uh, we have a caller that has, I think, a Firefly-related question or comment. So let's say good morning to Lori calling in from Indianola this morning. Lori, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes. Um, Libby. Yes. We try, we've tried to get um, tickets or in on the tours at uh, Wild Doxy, and um, they said that it was handled by Eventbrite and that all the tours were full for all three oh, days. Goodness. So I was wondering if, if we drive up there, uh, can we just look around or possibly get on a tour? Um, I tell you what, call Waldoxy State Park and ask them because they were talking about this earlier a couple of days ago. We were involved. It, it, the interest was greater than they had assumed at Wild Oxy, and evidently there are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of people that wanted those tickets, and Paul and I are going to be there right. to talk to everybody that shows up. You know, you're caught between the rock and the hard place. We want everybody to be able to get in that, that possibly can, but you don't want to have so many people that nobody gets to see them. So... Uh, Call the park and see what's happening. Uh, I know that 
uh, right now they have three nights, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, that doesn't yes. mean that they'll stop blinking. They'll still be there, and I can tell you all about it remotely if you need me to, uh, so that you could go on your own another day and see them there. Because uh, they'll be good for the next three weeks at Waldoxy, if that helps yeah. at all. Yeah, and well, we have it, such a long drive, we didn't know if we should go and just show up. Yeah, I would call, especially if you're going to need a place to stay. You better call and uh, be sure they've even got accommodations, because I think, like they well, we have say, accommodations. <laughs> oh, you do? We have accommodations oh. in Oxford. Oh, okay, good. So, well, there are all kinds of places at Oxford that you can see them at night, too. So you might okay. call somebody there. Uh, they're around uh, Roanoke, Faulkner's House, all of those woods. You know, and they've got some wonderful trails there that are um, easy that. to walk. Yeah, so the fireflies okay. are all in there, too. Okay, thank you so much. So if you do go to Oxford, I think you will find fireflies, yes. And okay, uh, they you. may not have very much tourism related to fireflies in Oxford, but it's my bet that they will soon because um, <laughs> people have shown a, a tremendous interest in the fireflies. That's right. All right, Laurie. Thank, thank you so much. Good luck. Thanks for I'm calling in. i see you there, Laurie. <laughs> Uh, so, Libby, uh, you have an announcement uh, that, if I, if I remember correctly, you kind of previewed for me on uh, on a, a Insta or on Facebook Messenger last night. But it sounds pretty exciting. Tell yeah. us about it. All right. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Dana Moran was on our show talking about her research with black bear in the state that she does in conjunction with the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks. So they've got some funding to put out. I love this. Bear hair nares, snares. So oh, bear yeah. hair snares are made to, uh, you put it on fences and places where you know bear exist. And basically it's kind of a little tangle of wire that will grab their hair. And all we need are a few strands of hair, you know, the miracle of um DNA research, they can learn a good bit about a bear. They can track a single bear's activities. They can tell which bears are related to which other bear. They can tell what, where the black bear may have come from. So they've got um, hair snares out in North Mississippi and particularly in the Delta where we know there are a lot of bear, but they don't know much about bear south of I-20. So, uh, the Department of Wildlife would like to have landowners who are interested in knowing more about their bear to volunteer to have these hair snares. But you do need to have had a sighting of bear on your land first. There's no sense in just putting these trap, you know, the snares out in places where you don't know there's a bear. But if you've had bear on your land and you live um, south of I-20, and you would be interested in allowing the, the scientists to come on your land and put out these snares. And, of course, you'll learn a good bit about the bear that come to your property. So um, give the Department of Wildlife a call or go online. They've got a nice section. When you click through, you can go to the um, Wildlife or Game Division and uh, there's a tab on black bear, and there's a lot of information. I think that's where it'll be about the snare. But if you have any trouble finding it, you can probably make a call to them. 
but I thought that would be a fun thing to do. I've never seen bear on my property, so I can't get included. But if you've got bear and you want to know more about them, this would be a really fun way to learn about them. So uh, good morning, Dr. Major. Got a question coming your way from Kevin in Biloxi. Kevin, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. I have a 14-year-old miniature schnauzer who, because of, because of illness, we had to board her with some friends of ours for the last six months. Needless to say, her hair is all grown up and completely matted on her underside. And her nails are just horrendously long. She will need to be sedated to have her nails cut and to get all this mat off of her stomach. How can I do that safely? I mean, she is 14 years old. She lives a sedentary lifestyle. And I'll, I'll hang up and use the book later. I guess one question I have before you hang up is uh, basically, does she have any health problems that you know of? Uh, she has no health problems that I know of. They have not kept her vaccines up. That's the first thing I need to do. Would you recommend vaccines and then shaving or shaving and then vaccines? You know, I think the main thing here would be certainly caution to be careful. Have you sedated her before to have her nails done? I've had I've had her sedated. Um, I've had her sedated at one of her groomers years ago, but she's never had to be sedated. But these nails, these nails are. You're starting to cut into her back. I understand. Okay, thank you for the question. Uh, Certainly, I understand what you're saying. It's difficult in a dog this age. One of the drugs that's used is called ACE Prolazine. It's a mild tranquilizer and uh, certainly uh, possibly would take enough of the edge off where this could be done. The other, if the mats are severe, uh, which sounds like they may be, and nails also are cutting into the pads, uh, maybe wise to take her to your vet and have him use a uh, basically an injectable sedation that can be reversed. Uh, one of the ones that's used primarily is Dextomator, and uh, they can give that, do what needs to be done, and then there's a reversal for that where she will be uh, up and around in just a short period of time. You wouldn't suggest, like, Benadryl or something like that before even? Well, have you tried Benadryl before? Uh, Certainly Benadryl, usually one milligram per pound, certainly could be used. You can see how that would do as far as taking the edge off, okay? Okay. Thank you. You want to be careful with the dog her age, though, but she does need help, it sounds like. So best of luck with that, and uh, certainly consult with your vet about it if, if there's any doubt. You take care. Thank, Thank you. you. I will. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Good luck. I hope you can get that cleaned up. Um, let's stay on the phone lines. We're going to go to Fairhope, Alabama, I believe, next. And uh, Linda has called in today. Linda, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. I have a very small fish pond in my backyard, and I have hundreds of tadpoles in it right now. And I'm just wondering, are they all going to develop into frogs and Will they jump out on their own, or what's going to happen? That's a great question. Uh, Libby? Yeah. Okay. Are, there in a, are they in a pond, or is it more of a, is it an artificial pond or a, a real pond? It's artificial. Okay. So 
uh, if you have a lot of eggs there, it, there's no fish to eat them then, right? Well, I have I guess. small goldfish in there, but the tadpoles are probably too big for any of those goldfish to eat them now. Okay, they've already gotten that big then, because what I was going to say, the first thing, uh, most of the frog eggs that are laid and the tadpoles that hatch become food for something else. And those that don't uh-huh. get eaten by anybody do emerge as frogs and hop out of there. So you may get a bunch of frogs. Um, there are some uh, places online where you can look and ideas that tadpoles get big enough, you can get an idea of what kind of frog you're going to get out of there. If you've heard frogs sing at night, you might already have a good idea of what what kind they're going to be. But, yeah, that's what they're scheduled to do is to emerge and hop around your yard and eat your bugs. <laughs> as long as they don't get eaten the thought I had, though, when she said all the tadpoles in there was a, a horror movie where they all thing and then the frogs take over and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they should. I, those, I've never those, seen those, that those, Right. The frogs should be able to get out on their own, though, once they mature. And uh, Libby's absolutely right. She may be able to go online and see what kind of what kind of frogs those are as they mature and get ready to hop out. Yeah. All right, uh, Linda, we appreciate your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. We'll go next to Fulton. Rebecca has called in today. Good morning, Rebecca. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. How are y'all doing? We're doing good. What do you have for us today? Yes, I, I had a reply for, for Miss Libby. Um, I had asked her last week about two uh, white water birds that I had found, and I couldn't find enough information online, and so I looked in my Audubon uh, bird book. And I figured out from that that the closest thing I could figure out was to see for juvenile snowy egrets. Oh, yeah, They're beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are two of them, and and, and you're definitely, I, I had forgotten about the difference in the beak of the stork versus egret. They definitely had an egret beak. But um, okay. but I was, I was looking on Wikipedia, and it says that... Uh, that Mississippi, it looks like that Mississippi is in the breeding range for for these birds, but they're normally yes. um, they normally are not in this area. Yeah, um, you can see snowy egrets pretty much, I think, anywhere in the state, and they do breed here in rookeries. You, you know, uh, herons are one of the birds that that all get together and make nests close together, usually um, over water. Mm-hmm. So they're and they're beautiful birds. Uh, we always say that the snowy egret, the uh, I think both the adults. I don't know how early they get those, but they wear golden slippers, and which oh. makes them yes showy snowy egrets. And their feet will be a, a pretty golden orange. Well, see, their their whole legs were yellow. That's why I was like, I you know. It's, but then they, uh, you know, I gather they change as they mature so that they have, like you said, the, the feet are yellow and the rest of it's black. Okay, so I, so the babies have all orange. I've never read that. So you taught me something new today. So I'll, I'll read a little more about those. I'm glad you're enjoying the snowy egrets. Well, thank you so much, and I enjoy the program. 
Thanks, Rebecca, for your call this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's an all-pet day, so if you have a question for Dr. Troy Major, who joins us from his clinic in Jackson every Thursday, give us a call, or if you have a wildlife encounter that you'd like to share with us. We always like to hear those. You can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Dr. Major, it's June 1st. Things have gotten a little bit warmer. Summer is on the way. Some things to think about with our pets the number one thing I think most people would think of that applies not only to our pets but to us as well is to stay hydrated. So how do we make sure our pets are getting enough uh, water or liquid? You know, that's an excellent question. and it's, it, We need to provide water for them, free choice, uh, and especially when we're out jogging or running, walking with the dog, we probably should take some water with us. and I, You can get collapsible bowls where you can offer the dog some water. Uh, you know, it's at this time of year, we're starting to see uh, increased temperatures. I think we'll be in the 90s shortly if we're not already. And uh, make sure that your outside dogs have plenty of water, free access, and something that can't be turned over. Uh, we always see really more heat stroke type things. Uh, and I say this just from uh, observation before July the 4th than we do after. Be very careful with your pets. You know, always remember not to leave them in a car. Um, it's closed up. You need to be in the car with them if you've got pets in your car, but never leave. Even with the engine running and air conditioner on, it may cut off, and then you've got a serious problem. So be very careful with that. The other things we need to think about, uh, certainly uh, year-round heartworm control here in Mississippi. Mosquitoes are making a pretty strong, uh, which I say, showing now, along with the lightning, lightning bugs. But uh, mosquitoes here, pretty much year-round here. And, of course, we have to be very careful to make sure that our dogs are on preventive, heartworm preventive. So are there any signs uh, that would seem to indicate that maybe our pets are beginning to overheat? And then if so, what can we do if we think that they're uh, headed in that direction? You know, several things. One, excessive panning. Now, cats, let's talk about cats for a second. They're a little bit smarter than dogs as far as the heat. Uh, how often do you see a cat running down the street uh, with 90-plus degrees temperature? <laughs> that would be very rare. Uh, it would be kind of like seeing a deer uh, all of a sudden, because something might have startled a cat and have it out running. But generally, our, our dogs are going to pant. They have to do that to dissipate heat, uh, and they dehydrate very quickly if it's really hot. Uh, the other thing to think about, I just had a conversation with someone. Be very careful if you're walking or jogging. This asphalt can heat up very quickly, and... Uh, Pads can be burned, or actually, we see some pads sometimes they are almost completely burned. So these are things to think about. But panning, uh, shade is very important in an outside dog. You don't want to have a dog that can't get some shade somewhere. Um, that's very important. But uh, panning is usually the first sign, and or exhaustion, uh, if an animal... Uh, if a dog is exhausted by that, he may just be laying down. Uh, I would offer water. Please don't overcool if a dog is showing signs of heat stroke. You really should get it in to see your vet. But uh, if you uh, pack ice around a dog or something like that, 
to lower its temperature, you could cause some serious problems. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the advice we give about our pets we could use as well. And I know that uh, anybody who's ever been maybe to a pool or a water park in the summer, Dr. Major knows about that you better have some flip-flops or something on because it's going to hurt the bottom of human feet as well. So that's a good point about the dogs. Maybe make sure that they're not on the asphalt. Or I guess if you could get the little dog uh, booties, that might help out as well. Well, walking on a soft surface, um, in other words, for your dog, maybe not for you, but walking on the grass is much better uh, when, when you're, especially if you're running, make sure your dog can get off of the asphalt. Concrete is not as hot as asphalt, but a lot of people like to walk on, on the asphalt for a run on asphalt. Back to the phone lines we go. Off to Hernando. Mike has called in today. Good morning, Mike. You're on the air with us. Good morning, you guys. My neighbor behind me uh, has an 18-month-old beagle and he and his wife are going down to the golf, and I get to babysit. Now, he's going to bring his little cage over to my house so he can sleep at night, but during the day he'll be in his own back backyard with food and water. How often should I feed him? Because, I, you know, I don't want him eating at night and having to go poop in the middle of the night. Right. You know, that's, that's an excellent question. I, I would kind of go by what the owners say, however feed more in the morning, maybe a snack or something like that at night, if that's what he probably would be better suited oh. for. In other words, okay, not, don't, don't feed a full feeding at night. Uh, most of the yeah, time... Yeah, I was afraid of doing that because I didn't want to mess him, you know, in his little cage. Right, exactly. All right. And that should, that should work okay. And uh, I don't know if they keep him in a cage at night, but uh, if they do, uh, certainly I would say less food in that at night. I feed him twice a day still, but mainly in the morning, okay? But the main meal in the morning. Yes, okay. sir. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the question. Always good to hear from you, Mike. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines. We're off to Boonville next, and as Barbara's, it's uh, Barbara's turn. So good morning, Barbara. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I got this question. If y'all got any information, we got a skunk that's uh, boring a hole under our garage, and uh, we'd like to know if y'all have any information how to get rid of it. Libby, let's uh, give you first crack at that one. Oh, gosh, that's what I was... Um, I've had trouble with that myself at times, um, and I honestly don't know how to get rid of skunks particularly. Um, I know you want to do it carefully, and um, I guess one of the things you got to... Do you think there are any babies under there? This coming be. Or... My husband has put a electric fence around it, but he ain't got it hooked up yet. We don't know if that'll work or not. To get it scared yeah. off, I don't know. It'd have to be low enough. Uh, you know, you could fill in the burrow and things like that, but you don't want to do that if there are babies in there. So um, I don't know if you can listen and tell. I need to do some research for you. I'm sorry. I'm not prepared for skunks. Um, one thing to always I know they remember. can be dissuaded. Yeah, Troy, you, what have you got? Yeah, one thing to always remember, they're, they're there for a food source close by. Uh, they uh, eat primarily mice and other rodents. Uh, they're kind of opportunists. They probably eat some large insects as well. But uh, I would say that uh, they're there because of a food source. Uh, if you have food outside for dogs or cats or chickens, 
I think it'd be wise to take that away, uh, at least for now. The other thing would be to seek some professional help. There mm-hmm. probably are some uh, professional uh well, we lost Dr. Major. We'll get him back on the line in just a minute. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, that uh, I think he was going to say, Barbara, that there are professionals, critter catchers and that sort of thing. So maybe if you were to go online and do a search for, I don't know, what maybe what phrase do you think would be the best to try to generate some results? Um, probably critter catchers. And, you know, um, Mike McDowell's coming on our show next week. We'll be sure and ask him about skunks, but she probably doesn't want to live with it for another week. So, yeah, Barbara, that would that would be our suggestion. Maybe go online, see if you can find something. And yeah. then, again, uh, we'll have something next week. So if you're still around next Thursday, tune in and see if we could give you any additional information. So we appreciate uh, your call. Okay, no, thank you. All right. Thanks, Barbara. Yeah. Go ahead, Libby. The complication, of course, is the spraying. Uh, if right. it's an armadillo or a raccoon, we catch them in a live trap and, you know, move them to a more suitable habitat. But with the skunk, that's so hard to release it once you catch it. So um, I, I, I think you have to use some different techniques with that. I'll do some reading. If I find something before the end of the show, I'll do it. Otherwise, uh, she might want to check back next week, and we'll talk to the critter catcher. All right. Very good. Thanks, Barbara, for your phone call. We got uh, Dr. Major back on the line. Uh, Here's an email for you, Dr. Major. This one says, my question is my cousin gave me her dog just to keep for her as a puppy. She never came to get the puppy back, which is about two and a half years now. She's never been worked. So what is the best? I'm sorry. She's never been wormed. So what is the best wormer and worm treatment I can give her uh, to be safe from heartworms and roundworms? Well, so, you know, technically it's your dog now. Uh, it's, it's not your sister's dog if she hadn't come back in two and a half years. You really need to go to your vet, have the dog check for heartworms and for intestinal worms, and be, actually put the dog on a preventive. Um, might be difficult uh, over the counter. There's really no good over the counter uh, recommended heartworm preventive. Uh, certainly, there are some intestinal worm type medications that you could do, but I would suggest checking with your veterinarian and have this puppy checked out. I guess it's a grown dog now. Have it checked out and be sure that you can uh, start it on a preventive that will work, and hopefully the dog has not got heartworms at this present time. But if in the case it were, then you would treat the the existing sort of infection, and then. but as you said, it's important, whatever the outcome, to get on that pre- for preventional medicine. Take your recommendation. The recommendation of your veterinarian, I think that would be most appropriate. All right, very good. We've got another call to get to. This one coming from Hazelhurst. We say good morning to Cecile. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is a question I'm thinking for Libby. Um, a, tur- a box turtle laid eggs in my driveway last week, and I got cones and yellow tape and put around it so that nobody would run over it. I wanted to know if that was the right thing to do and how long before these eggs hatch and how will I know when they hatch? Okay. They, it, it, it takes a while for them to hatch. I know. So you, if you can leave those cones there, I would imagine that's the best thing to do. And are you, did you, did you see them? Are you sure it's box turtles? I did see the turtle. Yeah. Uh, I was walking the dog, and he started sniffing, and we found the turtle, and I made him leave, but I could tell, I mean, she had dug out the hole, and she was 
sitting or whatever they're doing in it. And uh, then later, I went back to look where she had been, and it looked different. You know, she had like a, a dam around part of it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, sounds like she's left you some yeah. eggs. Yeah. Well, if you can possibly um, uh, cordon it off like that and give it some time, there is a, a turtle rehab center here in central Mississippi that's just, they're great people and they do a lot of rehab. They would probably give you some tips. I don't have the name right here. If you leave your contact information, I'll send you information from them. Lizzie. About what they suggest. Do you do you have their number, Troy? No, no I don't have their number. I was going to suggest, and I've done this before. I would take some mm-hmm. uh, fairly, not chicken wire, but some fairly heavy wire and make a circle around it if you haven't already to try to prevent any predators from digging those eggs up. They can't oh. actually detect where they are. The other thing, yeah. it may sometimes there, there's evidence, and I did the, had the same thing happen at, at my house in a flower bed, and I would suggest um, that they may take as long as a year. They can actually overwinter. Those eggs can overwinter, so it may take quite a while. Um, just a box turtle, but uh, certainly uh, try to protect the site from from dogs or raccoons or other other type predators that might dig those eggs up. Cecile, I think we'll go ahead and uh, put you back on hold, and if you could give the call screener some contact information, and we'll get that to Libby and see she can uh, get some information about the the turtle uh, group that she was talking about. So we appreciate your call this morning, and hopefully we can get you uh, some more information uh, on that. And um, let's go. I, go ahead. Yeah, I got some suggestions about the skunk, too. Okay. It, it is similar to what we've talked about for other things. One thing is that if you don't think there are young in this burrow, you can close it off again with some kind of a chicken wire type thing. Uh, if you put a bright light there, that usually will discourage them or um use a sprinkler in the area for a while and then they'll quit coming they don't want it to be wet or light Hmm. and um you know they said even loud noises would usually discourage a skunk that skunks like to be hidden in the dark so that if you if you ruin that part of it for them they'll probably leave so between light and sprinklers and um noise she might be able to get rid of them and putting the um wire uh mesh over the opening so that she can't get back in that tunnel. I say she, it may be a he, but uh, all those things are supposed to work for skunks. Good job, Libby. That that makes sense. And so uh, the sprinkler would be the easiest because that's something that you could, you know, set it up there and not really have to worry about it and definitely could get it soaking wet there and, and uh, maybe the, the skunk will go somewhere else. And again, that's one of those things we hate to drive it out of my house and into yours, but it's kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That's yeah, if for there's sure. a nice piece of woods close by, which may be where the skunk came from, then uh, they can just uh, send them back to the woods sometimes. All right. So, Dr. Major, earlier we were talking about the summertime approaching and that sort of thing, and I know a lot of dogs love to get in the water, maybe in a river or a lake. Uh, but are all dogs equally good swimmers? Are so some things we need to keep in mind when our dogs are around water? Absolutely not. When I say absolutely not, not all dogs are good swimmers. There are some dogs that are actually kind of somewhat bred to be swimmers. Your Labrador Retrievers, your 
dogs that are used for duck retrieval, this sort of thing. Uh, for example, much of the bully breeds would be uh, not good swimmers, like an English bulldog, uh, French bulldog, that sort of thing. They they would literally sink to the bottom in most cases. They're not good swimmers. So it, it would be, be careful and know your dog. One thing I would say if you're like at the reservoir at a lake, and the dog is loving to, uh, you throw a, a, a bumper or a decoy out in the water. The dog goes and gets it, comes back, wants to go again. They can overheat rapidly, even though they're going into the water if it's on a hot day. So be careful with that. One other thing I wanted to mention uh, is the seriousness of uh, tick-borne diseases. Uh, I would suggest using some sort of uh, Medication, whether it's oral or topical, uh, to help uh, repel both fleas and ticks. There are diseases that we see, such as Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Uh, Lyme disease does occur, but rare in Mississippi, but there are other. Uh, Ehrlichia is one of the ones that uh, we see often. So these are things that you need to be prepared for, especially during the summer months. So um, much like uh, humans, if if you take your dog through a walk, uh, you know, a hike or whatever, much like we check ourselves for ticks, I guess you would want to do the same for your dog. If you found a tick on your dog, would it be best to go ahead and consult your vet? Well, certainly you could take it off. Uh, I would suggest using gloves or uh, tweezers if you're going to take it off. Apparently there is some instance where some ticks might uh, have something that you could catch. My main thing would be the preventive, something that would prevent the tick either from attaching or repel the tick. Uh, ticks are in the, in the woods on the foliage. They're just waiting for a blood meal to come by, whether it's a raccoon, a dog, or you. And uh, I would certainly take every precaution. Uh, there are good uh, medications for uh, prevention of, of ticks and to kill the ticks, but at the same time, need to be aware of what, what's, what's available. A- any other dangers like uh, bacteria or anything from rivers or lakes if our dogs are swimming there? You know, there's, there are some from stagnant water especially, and some of the same things that could affect humans. Uh, some of the, the ponds and uh, small areas, they get a particular organism uh, Pemphigus uh, f- uh, certainly is one that's very deadly. Uh, it's rare, but certainly could be one of the things. And then there are also other bacterial things, depending on where you are. I noticed that they really have some issues now along the Gulf Coast with bacteria that seems to be uh, 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 transmitted with all the seaweed stuff that's been washed up, uh, Sargasso seaweed. Mm-hmm. So there are things. Take every precaution for your dog that you would be taking for yourself. That's probably the best thing I can say. All right. Uh, we were talking about skunks earlier, and so we say good morning to Marilyn from Ashland, who looks like she's had some skunk-catching experiences. Marilyn, what do you have for yes. us? Go ahead. We've caught over 30 skunks on my farm, and um, all of them alive. And the best way i found to do it is use one of the have-a-heart traps and wrap it in a big plastic bag, like a big garbage bag. Skunks like to go in kind of dark places, and then I place an egg at the very end of it. And almost, you know, at least 90% of the time they go in there, they get trapped. And that way they, you can go and lift it up. They will not spray 
if they know they're going to get hit. So they won't spray at any, you know, and so you can pick it up and take it at least 10 miles from wherever you've got it, and you can let it go in a forest or someplace where you know that they can get water and, and be able to hide. That's so my suggestion. When you moved it, did you leave it in the plastic bag in the cage? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you. What a yes, great idea. That, yeah. that works great. And when you let it go, it's still not going to spray you because it's still covered by that black plastic bag. So it'll just kind of take off. And, and yeah, personally, I absolutely adore skunks. Um, I think they're just the cutest things in the world, but they do stink. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I love to see them. them. Yeah, yeah. And but if you don't have a big plastic bag and you do trap them in a uh, have heart trap, approach approach the cage with like a uh, shower curtain in front of you, and just start talking nicely to the skunk. They don't like to be surprised. So if you start talking to them, you know, before you get up to the cage, um, they'll just kind of look at you and be a little nervous, but they won't really spray you. I've never been sprayed. And then I just slowly put the shower curtain over the cage, and then I can pick it up that way. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so a shower curtain or a great big garbage bag would bag. work. Sounds yeah. like you're the Scott Whisperer. Pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, that's what I feel like because I really, we've caught so many because I, I raise chickens and they, you know, get my eggs and all. And But, again, I just adore them, so I never want to hurt them. And I found this is the best way. They will scratch at the bottom, but they will not spray themselves if they think they're going to get hit with it. So that's that's the best, you know, what I've found to be the best way to get rid of them. All right, Marilyn, great call. Thank you so much. Well, hopefully yeah. the, our uh, person with the skunk was listening for because that's some, some great information. So we appreciate you calling in and being part of the show today. Dr. Major got about a minute and a half left, and we had mentioned and you had mentioned the importance of preventative uh, measures to keep uh, tea, uh, flicks and uh, flicks and teas. Uh, how about fleas and ticks off of our pets? Uh, in terms of pills, collars, topical applications, that sort of thing, does, does one work better than the other, or is it kind of maybe whatever works best for your pet? to go with that that's exactly it some of the collars are very effective uh they all of the medications are fairly costly that you have to use but uh there's a three-month pill uh that works very well there's a collar that works probably for seven or eight months uh so there's things that can be used that are very effective and the topical um, medications work as well so whatever works for you, consult with your veterinarian. I think it's the best thing to do and follow his lead because he's very experienced or he or she is very experienced with the saying the same thing you did with the fleas, <laughs> the fleas and ticks uh, and very important this time of year especially. But we recommend year-round flea, flea and tick control. All right. Uh, just a reminder, if you're ever out and about and you see something that you don't know what it is, maybe an animal, a bird, or, or just something in nature, and you want to get some help trying to identify it, you can always send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded, provided in part by listeners like you. If you want to find a previous show, one way to find it is to go to Creature Comforts. .mpbonline.org, or you can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. 
Our show was produced by Java Chapman and engineered by Abram Nanny. Our call screener was Jermaine Flood. So for Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.